So how you doing? Am I on? Can you hear me okay? Well, that's all right. Well, my name's Bill Reeser, and uh, I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ, celebrating 18 years, 19 and a half, going on 20 now. Uh, oh, yeah, God is good. I want to welcome everyone out to the Father's house and the greatest place to be on a Friday night. Come on. You know, I was thinking about a story, uh, you know, before tonight. Uh, my best friend, Peter Tashoni, who married Anna Maroney in New York City, He's the chief engineer in the Empire State Building, and, uh, and, I, and I, lo I love Peter, uh, and, I, and I, love, I, I love the Empire State Building. One of the things you may not know is that it's, I think it's 106 floors, maybe 112 when you get up all the way to the point, but a lot of people don't know that the Empire State Building was built 33 floors underground, 33 stories underground, because it has a stable, stable foundation. And it's one of the strongest buildings. I mean, I mean, even a gorilla couldn't take down <laughs> King Kong, you know, the Empire State Building. And, uh, and you know, we need a strong foundation uh, if we're going to survive, especially during the Christmas season. Because the Christmas season for a lot is either a joyful time or it's a horrible time. It's either, it's either a time where... You get, you get to be around friends and family, or you dread being around friends and family. It's a time when hurts, habits, and hang-ups tend to escalate. It's a time when things that we thought were gone from our lives that plagued us for many years, somehow they pop up in our heads. And this could be the worst time of year for many. And I just wanted to address a really tough topic tonight and give you one of maybe the oddest Christmas messages that you'll ever hear. And tonight's talk is titled, God Allows Pain and Suffering So We Can Say, Merry Christmas, Me Too. That's the title of today's talk. And you know, speaking of a, a strong foundation, in his wrap-up to his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told a story about two men who built two homes. They may have been built at the same time, maybe even close together. They may have even had the same floor plan. One of the builders, however, built this home on shifting sand, while the other built this home on a solid rock foundation. And then most of us know the story, right? The storms came, just like the storm last night, which I thought was a miracle. It's the first time I've seen rain in a long time in California. <laughs> the house that had been built on sand collapsed and fell on itself, while the one on, built on the rock on the solid rock, it stood firm. It was able to stand through the storm. The, ob the obvious moral of the story is to build your life on a foundation that's going to last. Like the foundation of God's word and the principles we teach here at Encounter. But here's the application that many of us miss. And many of us don't understand at times. The storm came to both houses. The rain poured on both building sites. And the man who was wise and carefully chose a stable foundation got hit with the same hurricane force winds as the man who foolishly took shortcuts and didn't bother to plan ahead. No one is exempt. We're all going to experience storms in life. Good things are going to happen to us as well as tragic and inexplicable things. Every life will have its fair share of pain. And as much as we'd like to believe otherwise, None of us can take an extended vacation beyond the reach of human suffering and tragedy. 
Life is a process. And like many of us who live moment to moment, we can't see around the bend and even discern God's ultimate purposes for our lives. But we can be sure of this. He's watching. He cares for us. And he loves us with an everlasting love that's based on his character, on who he is. And it's not based on what you do or what you've done or what's been done to you. God still loves you. You need to know something else about God. He's great at recycling our pain. And he uses it to bless us, to heal us, so we can heal, so we can bless others. See, your greatest contribution to this world, your greatest ministry is not going to be found in your strength, but actually in your weakness, in your pain. The very thing that you want to least talk about is the very thing that God wants you to share. That thing that you don't talk about with anyone else. You see, one of the great things that we've been learning about God is he never, ever, ever, ever wastes a hurt. And he doesn't want to waste yours. Now, most of us are under the belief that God only uses gifted people. That's not true. God uses ordinary people. God uses people who say yes. God doesn't God doesn't look for ability. He looks for availability. He doesn't look for qualified people. He qualifies the call. That's what he does. In fact, he does his best work through weak people. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, For my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. People are not helped just by our strengths. If you're always telling people how strong you are, they're not really interested in that. They want to know if you're going to be honest about your weaknesses. And every person in this room tonight has something to share, has something to give away. That's of value and worth to someone else. And when you understand that God uses your weaknesses and your pain, life takes on a whole new meaning. And as a result, you're going to experience genuine recovery, genuine growth, real peace, real purpose in life. So here's the big theological question. Are you ready? Why does God allow pain and suffering? The million-dollar question. Are you ready for the answer? I don't know. (laughs) Who on this side of heaven can really answer that question? Really? But I think I can give you some insight and maybe give you a glimpse of why God allows it, but maybe more how he uses it. Because there are going to be some things that we're never really going to know until we see God face to face. You see, God created us in his image. And one of the ways God's image is shown in each and every one of you is when you choose. When you have the ability to choose to do something, to think something. You see, God gives us the the gift of choice. And for every choice that you'll ever make, you should remind yourself that this is one of the ways that I'm made in the image of God. Because God gave us all the ability to choose. And when Adam and Eve decided we're going to go our way instead of God's way, all the problems in the world started. And every one of us have done the same thing. It's called sin. And because of sin, the world is broken. Nothing on earth is perfect. We talked about this last week. Everything on this planet is broken by sin. 
The weather's broken. That's why we have these weird catastrophes and these storms. No relationship works perfectly. They're all broken. Every relationship, every family, there's no perfect family. Have you discovered this? Next to the word dysfunctional in the dictionary is a portrait of my family. And I don't know if any of you have ever gone to Ancestry.com to look at your lineage. And you know that costs a lot of money, especially now with the stuff they're doing with the DNA, where you can track, you know, just, just, you know, just years and years of family members. Well, I contacted Ancestry.com. You know what they did? They sent me money not to look up my family. They're so dysfunctional. They said, you don't even want to know about them. That's how bad they are. You see, there's no such thing as a perfect family, a perfect couple, the perfect relationship, or the perfect marriage. You know what God says about that? He says, that's okay. Because when you invite me into your marriage, into your mess, into your relationships, I specialize in making broken things whole by infusing my power, my love, my son, my Holy Spirit, my truth, and my grace into your life and into your relationships. But he says nothing is perfect on this planet except one thing, the truth of his word. That's it. In addition to this, this issue of sin, there's also this cosmic battle that's going on for your life. I don't know if you realize this or not, but there are forces out to destroy your soul. The Bible specifically calls them our flesh, the world, and the devil. First, there's this battle inside of you. I don't even have to worry about the world and its value system or even Satan. I'm my worst enemy. I don't even live up to my own standards, and I'm the biggest liar to myself. Because I tell myself I'm fine when I'm really not fine. I tell myself I can do it when I can't do it. I'm the biggest liar to me than anyone else. And the biggest problem that I've got with me is my old nature, my sinful nature, my flesh, and my predisposition to make the wrong choice. Have you ever, have you ever done things that were actually self-destructive, but you did them anyway? Yes. Have you ever done things that you knew were wrong and you did them anyway? You can say me too. You make these choices, I make these choices all the time. And there's a constant battle within, and the bottom line, we are our worst enemy. And then there's this battle against you, and that's Satan. Devil Israel. Yes, there's a real Satan. He's not equal to God. God created him. He rebelled against God, and one day God's going to wipe him out. But until then, he allows him to wreak havoc on our lives. But remember this, greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in this, in this world. And God wants you to fight from a place of victory, not just for victory. You see, if you believe in a God who loves you, you better believe in a devil who hates you because he will stop at nothing to take you out. Ephesians 6, 12 says this, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Did you ever think that you're fighting against the wrong enemy? That your spouse, your boss, that person that you know that gets under your skin, 
that EGR person, extra grace required person, <laughs> is not the real enemy. So this is war in your life, and that's why everything's hard. Everything's a battle, not to mention the world's value system. That if you buy into it, it'll take you down a, a pathway where you'll, you'll never find your way back to God. And it all started when God gave us, what? A free will. See, God wanted us to choose to love him by responding with our own free will because without a choice, it's not real love. See, love requires a choice. Otherwise, God would have had a bunch of puppets around. But he wanted us to choose to love him back. See, we have the choice to choose good or bad, right or wrong, life or death. And when it comes to God's son, we have the choice to believe him or don't believe him. We have the choice to reject him or accept him. It's your choice. It's our choice. And it's our free will. And it's not only a blessing, but that free will is a burden. See, poor choices cause painful consequences. We make choices that bring pain to other people and to ourselves. And God will never override your free will. I can't fully explain that, but he just doesn't override our free will. He gives us that choice. That not only does God give you free will, but he gives it to everyone else too. And this means that when others choose to do the wrong thing, you may get hurt as an innocent victim. Many of you, when you got hurt, you were an, an innocent victim. It wasn't your fault. Many of you have been deeply hurt by a parent, a spouse, a relative, a friend, or someone you didn't even know. Now, God could have prevented that hurt by taking away that person's free will, right? But if he had done that, in order to be fair, he would have to take away your free will. He would have to override your free will as well. Pain is part of this free will package we inherit when we were born into a broken world where nothing works right and all of us fall short because of one thing, sin. Sin and an inherent desire in all of us to be our own God. So that's just a small glimpse of why God allows pain. Now let's talk about how God uses pain. Because all of us have pain. You may want to write some of these things down. God uses pain to get our attention. God uses pain to get our attention. God uses pain to teach us to depend on him. Some of you will never know that God is all you need until God is all you got. And that's the truth, isn't it? Truth is, some things can only be learned through pain. C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts to us in our pain. And so many of you have used your pain to lean into God and have allowed him to do a great work in your life. And you would be the first to say, God allows pain and uses pain to give us a ministry to others. Do you ever think about that? Each and every one of you is called to ministry. So I, don't, I never thought about being in ministry. Yes, you are. You're an ambassador of reconciliation. You're ministers. You're royal priesthood. You're called to the Great Commission to go out and witness to others, to talk to others. You may be the best Bible translation someone else 
will ever read because they're watching every move you make. God allows pain and uses pain to give us a ministry to others. Here's what else pain does. Pain makes you humble. It makes you sympathetic and sensitive to others' needs. It prepares you to serve. It prepares you to give and give everything you have away. And when we turn to God for healing from the source of our pain, guess what happens? He comforts us and gives us the help that we need. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Marty was teaching on this very passage from 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the back seat. Uh, you may want to pick this up and, and just you can take it home with you. It's a New Living Translation. Uh, 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you got Acts and Romans. Then you got 1 California, 2 California. Oh, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Okay. 2 Corinthians. Okay, 1, 3, 2, 5 says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Jim Beam is not going to give you any comfort. It'll make you act stupid, but it's not going to give you any comfort. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Here's what he's saying. God comforts us. Not so you can go into a corner and just keep it all to yourselves, so you can comfort others. God restores us so we can help someone else get restored. God heals us so we can help someone else get healed. God saves us so we can lead others to salvation. It has been said you can forget what hurt you in the past, but never forget what it taught you. Listen, if you couldn't feel physical pain, your body would eventually be be filled with scars. In that sense, physical pain and physical suffering is necessary for survival, especially in a broken world. Emotional pain is another form of suffering that's necessary for our growth in Christ. Physical, mental, emotional pain has to be acknowledged. It can't be denied and packed away and stuffed away. It's not going to go away. And corrective steps must be taken or our chances for survival decrease. Suffering has a way of getting our attention, doesn't it? Someone once said, small trials often make us beside ourselves, but great trials bring us back to ourselves. Jesus is the best example that suffering is necessary in order, don't miss this, to perfect character. The reason why you've suffered the reason why we've gone through so much suffering, it's not so God can make you comfortable. It's so God can build character in you. Apart from the suffering he endured to pay the consequences of our sin, suffering also produced something in Jesus' own life. Scripture says he was made perfect through what? Suffering. Hebrews 2.9 says, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists 
should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Hebrews 5.8 says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Now, these verses don't suggest that Jesus was disobedient or sinful, but they refer to his growth from infancy to adulthood. His growth experience through suffering made him a compassionate, don't miss this, high priest who could identify with and come to the aid of every suffering person. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. No one, and I mean nobody, can understand and sympathize with what you're going through than Jesus. He knows. He cares. And he demonstrates how he cares and loves for you each and every day. And if you ever forget that, all you have to do is look at the cross. He loves you this much. See, suffering also taught Christ the fullness of what it meant to obey his heavenly Father regardless of the cost. In his humanity, Jesus learned the chain of moral values that developed as a result of his adversity. So in the heat of battle, sometimes it pays to stand back. Just take a deep breath and ask God to put everything in perspective for you. Ask yourself some questions. Questions like, will what I'm going through, will this matter for eternity? Will this matter for eternity? God, what are the long-term consequences of what's going on and the decisions I'm about to make? And God, where are you in this process and what are you trying to accomplish in my life? Instead of asking God, get me out, or what are you doing? You may want to ask God, whatever you want to do in my life, I'm in. You'd be amazed how short your desert runs will be if you start thinking like that. See, this is what Paul does in the beginning verses of Romans. And this is really where I want you to look. So if you, again, if you have this Bible, turn to the book of Romans. Uh, it's from the same New Living Translation, which I love that translation. And this is, this is actually the Christmas verse for you. This December, I'm, you know, I could read out of Isaiah 9, you know, and talked about, you know, how Jesus is the wonderful counselor, um, you know, and, and all these things. I could read to you from Luke, the Christmas story, but I want you to see what Paul says. And I want you to look at this in terms of your pain, your suffering, what God's trying to accomplish in your life. So at some point in your life, you can say, Merry Christmas, me too. Paul says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Jesus came as a baby to save us. He came to us because we couldn't get to him. He moved into your neighborhood. He moved in so that you can have life. We have peace with God because of what Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we can confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. 
This is exciting stuff. I'm going to get through this, and I'm going to break it down. We can re- I'm, I'm, I'm get, I get fired up when I read this stuff. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. Yay, there's another one. <laughs> for we know that they help us develop in endurance. Thank you for this pain. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens, don't miss this, our confident hope of salvation. And this hope, oh, there's a lot of things in this world that are going to disappoint you, including me. Hang around me long enough, I'll disappoint you. But this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit, to fill our hearts with love. I'm going to leave that scripture on the screen, but Paul is stating some significant facts when you face problems. And you may want to study and meditate on this passage for the rest of the Christmas season because there are eight significant things that he says. Eight facts just from that one scripture. Fact one, you've been justified. You've been justified because of Jesus if you put your faith and trust in him. Fact two, you have peace because of what Christ did for you. Some of you are going to get together with family members. You're going to get together with terrible Ted and nasty Nancy for Christmas. And you're going to need peace. Fact three, you were brought into a place of undeserved privilege in which you now stand. So many of us go wandering around. God, where do I stand with you? You're in a place of undeserved privilege. By grace. Fact four, you can look forward to the future with confidence and joy. Fact five, you can rejoice in the storm. Because your endurance, character, and confidence in God will soar to new heights. Fact six, this hope will not lead to disappointment. Fact seven, God still loves you despite you. And me, fact eight, the Holy Spirit in us fills our hearts with love. If there's anything that we need, is our heart filled with love by the power of the Holy Spirit. And though it may seem ludicrous to rejoice in our sufferings, James gives us the same advice. He says, consider it pure joy. Throw a party. Have people over because you're having problems. (laughs) Whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything, James 1, 2 through 4. See that encounter? The shift happens when we take the focus off ourselves off other people, and start focusing on God, looking at things from his perspective and what he's trying to accomplish in our lives. You see, if we don't set our minds on eternal things like that, then seeing life from a temporal perspective can always lead you to a false hope. You'll run on emotions instead of truth. You'll run on what you see instead of praying for what you don't see and letting faith override your fear. Because fear always consults the facts. Faith consults the truth, the way, the life, 
in Jesus Christ. You see, people see their jobs as hopeless, so they change jobs. They see their marriages as hopeless. They change spouses. Many see their churches as hopeless, and they change churches. Paul and James admonish us to stay on course and grow up. Now, there may be legitimate reasons to change jobs, even churches, but we're not to renounce our responsibility to grow up by always running away from the pressures of life because we're always going to face the same obstacles again wherever we go. Each time we run away, we always make the process harder. And when you run away, there's always going to be a problem. You're still going to be there because wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> and our character is tested by situations that attempt to stop us from being the people God created us to be. The outcome of those tests always determine our character. Character is the primary qualification for Christian leadership. God will always place character and maturity before ministry. If we don't observe that order, he may allow our careers and ministries to suffer in order to establish our character. If we have God's perspective, we can rejoice because we know that he's in the process of conforming us to his image. And that's always where the hope lies. When someone can approach you and say, you have so much peace on you. How do you handle this stress when you're going through such a rough time? How can you have joy? I see God in you. I see God working through you. You see, God wants to produce this type of character in you so that you can play a role in God producing this type of character in the people you're going to lead. You're leading people whether you think you're leading them or not. The question is how you're leading them and where you're leading them. Yeah. And that's ultimately the purpose of why God allows pain in your life. Remember, it's not about you. And when you can start to get to a place where you can allow God to recycle your pain and use it to give you a ministry to others, life is going to just take off on the fast track of healing, spiritual growth, and recovery. It's also how many of us, maybe for the first time, start living out what you've been called to do. And that's to love others by serving them, witnessing to them, being a two o'clock in the morning person for them. Call me at two o'clock in the morning, I'm sleeping. They call you, some of you guys, you guys are there at their doorstep. That's what I love about you. Because you're telling them to trust God. You're telling them to hold on. You're telling them don't give up. You're telling them to meet me at encounter at the Father's house. I'll go with you. And some of you are here tonight because a friend brought you. And the fact is all of us need some type of recovery. Nobody's perfect. And when we're hurting with someone and struggling with something, we want to get with someone who understands. We want to get with something who's gone through what we've gone through. Not someone whose life has got it all together. You don't need a perfect person. If you find a perfect person, let me know. We'll build a church around that person. You could be, all be part of the leadership team. It'll be called the perfect church. But there are no perfect people. So who better to help a person who struggles with mental, physical, verbal, relational, and sexual abuse than someone who can say, Merry Christmas, me too. Who better to help a person who struggles with pornography than someone who can say, Merry Christmas, me too. Who better to help a person who struggles with drugs and alcohol than someone who can say, 
Me too. Who better to help someone who struggles with their anger than someone who can say, Merry Christmas, me too. Who better to help a person who struggles with setting up healthy boundaries, not following through with the consequences when those boundaries are broken, and who stays in the spin cycle of enabling others than someone who can say, Merry Christmas, me too. Who better to help someone struggling with food addictions, eating disorders, than someone who can say, Merry Christmas, me too. Who better to help someone struggling with loneliness, depression, the loss of a loved one, than someone who can say, Merry Christmas, me too. Who better to help someone struggling with the consequences of not being able to be with their family during the holidays, or someone dealing with separation or divorce, than someone who can say, Merry Christmas, me too. Who better to help someone struggling with mental illness, suicidal tendencies, and hopelessness than someone who can say, Merry Christmas, me too. Who better to help someone struggling with hurts, habits, and hang-ups than someone who can say, Merry Christmas, me too. God wants to use and recycle the pain in your life to help others, but you've got to be open, you've got to be honest, you've got to be authentic, you've got to be real, you've got to take off your mask, you got to be willing to the risk bearing your soul. Share your weaknesses and share the hope that you now live for. And if you do that, God will use you in great ways. But if you keep that hurt to yourself, you're only going to, you're going to waste that pain and you're going to stifle your growth. Now, there are a couple of ways that God uses us to do this. It's found in principle eight of Celebrate Recovery. It's a great program. I love that program. Yield myself to God to bring this good news to others, both by my example and by my words. By my example is how you submit and surrender to God and then serve others the same way. It's giving up your time, talent, and treasures so others can experience the hope that you have. The second part of that is bringing this good news to others by your words. Notice that it's called the good news. I like that. You know why? For years, the gospel of Jesus Christ has always had the awesome phrase, good news attached to it. I love what the guy from Jamaica said in the Bible, Philemon. There's a guy named Phil, and they called him Haman. You know, <laughs> it's not that. It's not, that's not how you pronounce it. <laughs> Philemon, just so you know. Philemon 4.7 says this. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Don't miss that. He says, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that, you'll, so that you won't miss every good thing that you have in Christ. See, if you share your, the hope that you now live for, you won't miss the good things that Christ has for you. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Like I said earlier, you may be the best Bible translation someone else may ever read. Now listen, God's looking for good fruit, not religious nuts, okay? He wants, you to, he wants good representation, so to truly live this out, we must give God the latitude he needs to use us as he sees fit. And we do that by offering everything we have, our time, our talent, and our treasures. We hold a light touch with everything that we own. 
recognizing that everything comes from his hand. Everything. The clothes that you're wearing, the money you have in your pocket, you didn't earn it. God gave it to you. Every good gift comes from the Father above. And when our lives are yielded and surrendered to him, he'll use us as his instruments to carry this good news for others. At Encounter, people take your example far more seriously than they take your advice. If you want someone to see what Christ will do for them, let them see what Christ has done for you. Here's a question to ask yourself when you get to this principle and when you're ready to start ministering to others. Does my lifestyle reflect this? Does my lifestyle reflect the life of Christ? In other words, does it show others the patterns of the world, selfishness, pride, and lust, or does it reflect the love, humility, and service of Christ? In other words, serve others, love others as Christ has loved you. And when you get ready to be in this place, always have a basin of water and a towel ready to carry wherever you go. Jesus said in John 13, 14, 15, and since I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. You may have a thing about feet, but God wants you to wash other people's feet. You know what that means? I know some of you are disgusted right now because you can't stand stinky feet, but what this means is, is that I think the Apostle Paul said it best. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Don't look just to your own interest, but look to the interest of others. Love others and put others first. It goes a long, long way. You see, the pathway to spiritual growth, discipleship, and recovery always leads to service. See, some of you are going to start serving here in Encounter. Some of you are going to move on, and that's okay. But consider this. If most of you move on to other areas and leave Encounter, who's going to be here for the newcomers? You know, when Hosanna Poetry comes here on January 6th, we're probably going to have a packed house. And we're going to have a lot of people here for the first time. They're going to need you guys, all of you, to come back and greet them and just tell them, me too. Welcome home. Welcome to freedom. Welcome to the free, abundant life in Jesus Christ. We all need to be me too people. We all have a part in the success of this ministry. Every person is of equal importance, and all of you play an equal role, no matter what you do, no matter where you decide to serve, no matter where you decide to lead, whether you're going to clean the bathrooms, whether you're going to greet people at the door, whether you're going to help out with production, whether you're going to help out with the cooking team, whether you're going to help out with our children, whether you're going to help out with the ushers, whether you're going to help out with the admin team or all the other teams, the cafe team, so many other teams that we have that we're building here at Encounter, each person is just as important as any other person, including me. So not only do we need to love each other, but we all have an equal part in this ministry. And if Christ is really in your heart, you are compelled to live this stuff out. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. 
and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now, one of the things I can't teach you to do is live a fully surrendered life to Jesus Christ. That's a choice. It's part of the free will package that you have. And a lot of you, I may have even lost you in that part about the free will package because the mindset is, well, that's not fair. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm glad God doesn't treat me fairly because if he treated me fairly, I would get what I deserve. Because he doesn't treat me fairly, I get what I don't deserve, and that's his grace. And I'm glad he doesn't treat me fairly. Stormy O'Martin shared in one of her devotions why people sometimes never experience breakthroughs and never grow and experience freedom in their lives. She goes on to say that the answer lies in the word surrender. That they have not fully surrendered everything to God. They've not truly made Jesus Lord over their lives. She says surrendering everything means being willing to say, Lord, whatever you want to do, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I'll say yes to anything you ask of me, even if it means dying to myself and my desires. I'll do whatever you say so I can move into that place where you have everything for me. This attitude of surrender means putting God first and submitting to his rulership because whether we declare it or not, he's Lord. Jesus is Lord. The question is, he's Lord of the universe. The question is, is he Lord of your life? It's one thing from having him be your savior, but is he your savior and Lord? And he can't. He wants to be both, and there's a difference. So here's, so here's what I just want to just end with tonight. To challenge you to live a fully surrendered life to Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said to live as Christ and to die as gain, which is, which is why he prayed every day to die daily. John the Baptist said, I have to decrease so he can increase. Jesus himself became nothing. This is what leadership is. This is how God recycles your pain. Jesus Christ himself became nothing. He came to serve, not to be served. He humbled himself. He carried his cross, became obedient to death. And Jesus invites us to leadership. And here's what Jesus Christ's model of leadership looks like. Are you ready? Come and see. Come and die. Go and tell. It's not a game. Come and see what life with me is all about. Come and see what grace is all about. Come and see what forgiveness is all about. Come and see what it means to have your name written in a book, never to be erased and having your eternal home settled forever is all about. Come and see what life with me depositing my Holy Spirit to give you power, to give you peace, to give you comfort, to heal you, is all about. Come and see what the abundant life, like putting me first in your life, is all about. And now that you've seen it, now that you've believed and received me, you gotta die. You just gotta kill yourself. You gotta die to all your plans. You gotta die to all your ambitions. And your ambitions and your plans have to become God's plans. You die so he can be resurrected in you. And his life in you will compel you to go and tell.
Come and see, come and die, go and tell. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you've given us a model. There's no other model. There's no other pathway but for us to come and see, come and die, and go and tell. And we're grateful for that. And I'm just so grateful for everyone here tonight. And I know that there's so many on different journeys and they're in a place. Some of them, some are here, they're really in a hard place because their pain is not healed yet. And the pain is real. And the storm is now. But Lord, you can speak to storms. And even the storms obey you. And you can say peace, and there'll be peace. You can say stop, and the storm will have to leave. So, Father, it's not that we understand why you allow pain and, and use pain in our lives. We'll never understand most things because there are so many things that are mysteries. But we trust. And while we may not understand it all, we surrender it all. And we trust you for our healing. We trust you for our deliverance. We trust you for our lives. We trust you in the storm. We trust you with our pain. And we pray that, that you recycle it and heal us and make us a trophy of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.